Welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover, your home for ice fishing news, tips, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Chris Larson. Hello, and thanks for downloading the Fish House Nation podcast. Today, our guest is Shannon Fisher from the Minnesota DNR. Shannon, welcome to the Fish House Nation. I appreciate it. Uh, glad to be with you here today. Shannon, you have an extensive background. You've earned a master's and a doctorate degree from South Dakota State. You're a director of the Resource Center at Minnesota State Mankato. Now you're with the DNR. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with the Minnesota DNR? Sure. My position is the Populations Monitoring and Regulations Manager. It, it's, it's a big title to basically say that I, I have some oversight of the, the operations of the section of fisheries. Uh, manage the budgets, uh, but also manage the regulations uh, and uh, over have some staff that work on uh, the population monitoring and our survey programs. Um, I also have uh, some oversight over the cold water culture program and, and other things. So it's a, it's a broad group of tasks that I have. And that cold water is really kind of what we're talking about today. We wanted to have you on to talk about bourbon or eel pout. Well, tell me a little about like what do we call these? Are we are we do we call called <laughs> bourbon? What, what are they? What's the real name? Well, the official name is burbot. They are the only species of freshwater cod that we have um, on the planet. Really, uh, they're pretty interesting species too because they're one of only two freshwater fish that are found circumpolar uh, around the globe. Those in northern pike are the only two. Um, you know, there's lots of interesting names for, for burbot. Eel, eel pout is one that many here in the Midwest are familiar with. Uh, when I was doing work on the Missouri River, they, they call them ling. Um, I've, I've heard a number of other names, but, uh, but burbot is the official, official name. Yeah, what is it about burbot? Sounds like you, you've done a lot of things with, with them. What is it about burbot that makes you tick? I think for me, it's just that they're so unique. They're so different from anything else that we have. Again, because they're the only cod species in freshwater, you know they're they're, you know they're they're so different from all of the other species that we typically work on, like crappies and you know other scaled fishes, for example. Um, and uh, and I just think they're just a fascinating species. Uh, I've always had an interest in them, and and uh, when I started discovering uh, larval and, and juvenile burbot in backwaters of the Missouri River which we had been looking for for a long time. It was pretty exciting. Can you tell me a little bit about the life cycle of burbot? How, how, does, a, how does a burbot live in a place like uh, Northern Minnesota? How does that burbot go throughout its whole life and kind of what does it do? And, and when we talk about our lives and how we wake up in the morning, we go to work, we do this. What's that like for a burbot? <laughs> well, we don't necessarily have a, a great feel for what burbot life history and their daily cycles are. And that's part of why we launched a a study uh, using some telemetry equipment on a, on a lake in Minnesota here about about two years ago to try to get a better understanding of what that you know what that daily life is like for for them and then also on an annual scale you know there are definitely some things that we we do know about burbot you know for example they are uh, a unique spawning species they spawn in late winter under the ice um, in these spawning balls of fish that uh, that release eggs and, and milt and and it, you know it's a very different type of spawn uh, from any anything else that we have both in terms of uh, behavior and timing and they come up into shallow water to do that and and then you know and as most people know in the summer 
or when the water warms, we we lose these fish. I mean, we don't we don't see them. Um, you know, the the belief is, of course, that they go they go pretty deep. They want colder water, and they they stay relatively dormant during uh, those those months. However, with the telemetry study, some of the early indications are that you know they're a lot more active than we probably thought they were, but they do all of that activity in in deeper water. But then during the winter months, they they come up shallow and they feed. Uh, you know, they do a daily. What we're seeing is probably a daily movement, where they come up from the from the depths, uh, feed at night, and then go back down. But they'll come up pretty shallow. I mean, we've we've been catching them and finding telemetry data in as little as three and four feet of water. So they will come up shallow. Tell us a little bit about what a telemetry study is. How does that work, and how do you collect data? using telemetry with fish? Sure. What we did is we captured uh, some burbot. We used uh, winter angling. It's the best way to capture them uh, in terms of for research purposes as well. And uh, there are some very small, they're about inch, maybe an inch long, inch and a half long at most, uh, little uh, electronic devices that look like a, look like a, you know, maybe a, oh gosh, like a vitamin pill or something. And, and uh, we, surgically put those into uh, the body cavities of some burbot and we uh, sew them up and hold them for just a very short period of time to make sure they're gonna they're gonna survive and then we turn them loose and then what we have out in the lake is a is a what we call a, a receiver array it's a, a group of receivers uh, I think in the lake that we are doing the work on we have about 30 36 of these receivers out there and, uh, and then these little devices inside the burbot, they send out a little, a little ping or a little electronic uh, a noise, so to speak. Uh, some of them were set up to do it every three or four minutes. Some of them were set up to do it every 15 minutes. And then those pings are picked up by these receivers and then we can triangulate location. And then there's also a pressure sensor in those, in those, in those uh, transmitters in those fish that allow us to estimate how deep they are as well. So what do you learn from data like that? What, what do you, how do you collect that data and then create some uh, hypothesis with what, what the data is that you're getting? Well, we, we go out and we, uh, we have a graduate student uh, from Bemidji State University who's working on the project and he goes out and downloads the data from the receivers every few months. And, and then what we are able to do is, is we're able to uh, formulate kind of a, a series model of, of the movement of these fish. What kind of depths are they using? What kind of temperatures are they looking for? You know, uh, are they coming up into shallow areas consistently? You know, because one of the questions that I have is, is, you know, are these fish utilizing or do they have a strong affinity for uh, the same spawning grounds, for example? You know, are, is it a very unique spawning area or is it kind of scattered? Because one of the concerns that, that I have is, is if these fish are utilizing the same or a very finite uh, area for spawning and anglers know that they're there at certain times of the year, uh, it makes them pretty vulnerable um, because they, they, they will readily feed um, during the spawn. Uh, so it's not like they're, you know, so, so they're going to respond to, uh, uh, to baits and such put in front of them. And, uh, and we have some concerns about that. But we're hoping that the, uh, the telemetry information is going to give us a lot, uh, a lot better feel for kind of what the habitat requirements are for these fish. We really just don't know a lot about them. 
And we know that in some of the southern parts of the Burbit Range, the populations seem to be declining. And we're concerned that that could be a climate change related issue. And so uh, learning what we can now, I think, is going to help us protect the populations that we have in the northern part of the state. Currently in the state of Minnesota, there's no season on Burbit. It's pretty much fair game. You can take whatever you want, when you want, how many as you, how many you want. And right now, the Minnesota DNR is proposing a season. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why why that's something that, that you're looking at. Well, up until uh, 2019, Burbit were listed in the state as a as a rough fish. Uh, they did not have any game fish status. Therefore, they had no no game fish protection. Uh, we made a change on that uh, in the 2019 legislative session and that went into effect this last year. And so now burbot are listed as a game fish. In the state, uh, generally, if it's a game fish or listed as a game fish, it should have a, a season and a bag limit applied to it so that we know uh, kind of what, what the limitations are or should be on the species for harvest. Now, with that said, we have some game fish that, you know, the season is continuous, you know, it's year round, but at least we've identified it as such. You know, with burbot, I, I anticipate that a year round season is probably what we'll be looking at because, you know, you catch them in the winter through the ice and only rarely will anyone catch one during the open water season. Uh, there are some that get caught, but it's, it's, it's not probably a significant number or going to have any impact on the population. Now, I think the bigger question is, is bag limit. Um, you know, because we don't have a, a significant amount of data on burbot, uh, it makes it a little more challenging to set a, a biologically valid bag limit. But what I can say is that in looking at some of the data from the, the lakes that we are currently uh, studying, including the telemetry lake, if you look at the length frequency uh, kind of, you know, uh, graphs for these, for these lakes, it, it does start to appear that maybe there's some cropping off of large burbot from the population. Uh, we see a sharp increase in lengths uh, at younger ages and then uh, they just kind of disappear. Um, and I don't think it's that the fish aren't lasting into those longer lengths, they're, they're, just, they're just not there. And so we've got some questions that are gonna need to be answered. Um, I did a little bit of looking around at other states and provinces, for example, to see what other, other groups are doing in terms of bag limits. And it, it varies. Uh, we've got some that are as low as, as two. Uh, we've got some that are six to eight, you know, if you look across the Burbit range. Um, so we're going to have to uh, get some public input on that. We want to know what people think about that. Uh, we have heard uh, some, a call from some groups saying they want the, the limit at one because they value the species so much. Uh, we've had others say, no, you know, we, we harvest a lot of these fish and we eat them and we want to have a more liberal bag limit. So um, it's going to be an interesting process to see what kind of feedback we get. Yeah, you're talking bag limits. Some people want one, some people want a big one. Do you have any just back overall on the entire thing? Anybody's saying, we just want you to leave it the way it is. We want to we be able to fill buckets if that's the way the bite is going. What are people saying to you as far as that? So far, I have not heard much sentiment saying, don't protect them, leave it the way it is. I mean, most people, I think that fish for them realize that, uh, that the species is a lot more valuable than historically anglers in the state gave them credit for. I mean, they're, they're good table fare. They are a great fight in the winter, you know, 
Um, and people seem to really enjoy them now more than they did before. And so I have not heard, I have not heard a lot of people coming forward saying, no, you know, just leave it, leave it alone. Um, most of what I've heard is, well, let's, let's do what we need to do to protect the species, sustain the species. Um, but, you know, then, then, then the opinions start to vary from there, you know, in terms of what they think that should look like. That was great that you said a lot more valuable because that was my next question and kind of a, kind of a wrap up question. And, and that's why are Burbot important? What, what's important about them and, and why do we need them to have a strong population? Sure. Well, burbot are, you know, contrary to popular belief, burbot are not these uh, slimy bottom mud scum eating fish that people oftentimes gave them credit for. Um, they are, in fact, a predator. Uh, they are serving uh, an important role in, in what we, well, what we believe is an important role, but that's what we're trying to learn more about in, uh, in these deeper water communities. They, they seem to maintain a uh, focus on, on various uh, fish for prey. You know, it's interesting because one thing we've seen too is in some lakes where we have really strong northern pike populations, uh, these burbot, because they don't have any spines, for example, uh, they, they serve as an important food source uh, for the pike because uh, they come up in the shallows in the late evenings and mornings and the pike are still able to pick some of them off and you know, so I think we have a lot to learn yet about the value of these species. But uh, again, because they're unique, uh, they're a predator, uh, they're native, you know, they've been here, uh, they, they play a role. Uh, we still have more to learn about what that role is. But, uh, but we believe that they are worth protecting and when worth managing to sustain the populations. Shannon, is there something you wanted to talk about today that I didn't ask you? Not that I can think of offhand, but you know, it's, it has been interesting to watch the uh, the interest in burbot evolve because I, I grew up in northern Minnesota. You know, I went ice fishing with my dad and his friends. You know, and and sometimes when you saw that big burbot coming up that ice fishing hole, I mean, some of those guys would just cut the line. They didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to touch it. You know, and and then you used to drive around and you'd see burbot laying all over the ice up there. It was it was raven food is all it was. You know, they'd they'd smack them on the head and throw them out on the ice because they felt they were nothing more than a, a competitor to all the other species they, they would rather catch. And it's, it's been pretty amazing to see the, the, the change um, because, you know, you just look at, you know, well, requests like, you know, you want to talk to me about bourbon. I mean, these, these types of requests have increased significantly over the last 10 to 15 years. And, uh, and people are realizing that there's, there's a, there's a recreational and a, and a table fair value in these species. And I mean, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I hear from people all the time that, uh, hey, we're trying to put together a burbot trip. Where do we go? What, when do we go? Those types of things. So I think uh, yeah. people, I think, see it almost like, uh, you know, if you were a hunter, it, it's almost like kind of like a trophy hunt. Like this is something that I can't do in my backyard here. So I'm gonna yep. put everything together, put all the pieces together, and we're gonna go after burbot on, you know, this weekend. Yep, yep. I'm starting to see more of that too. I, you know, I'm on some of the, you know, the Facebook sites for Lake of the Woods and such. And, and you do, you see people asking frequently, you know, I want to come up, you know, and catch a burbot. You know, what do I do? Where do I go? You know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen people asking those questions because they could have cared less, you know, right. and now people are targeting them. But that raises the concern level, you know, is how vulnerable are these species, you know, 
And I think that's the biggest question that I'm trying to help answer with this telemetry study with Bemidji State is, you know, is what, what can we do or what do we need to do to, to make sure this species doesn't take a, a big hit from winter angling. And if people want to learn more about Burbit, learn about your study or what's going on at the Minnesota DNR and Burbit, where can they go? Well, right now, um, they can contact me at the, at the DNR office, um, although I'm working from home, of course, uh, with, uh, with COVID. Uh, um, and also, uh, there is a graduate student at uh, Bemidji State who has become a, a subject matter expert on burbot and, and movement, and he's also a pretty darn good resource uh, to tap into. And uh, we'll have some, you know, we'll, we'll be wrapping that study up over the next probably six to eight months here, and, and I'm sure you'll be seeing uh, some, some products from that uh, hitting the media. So, awesome. Shannon Fisher from Minnesota DNR. Really appreciate, appreciate your time and coming on. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover. For more ice fishing content, visit our blog at catchcover.com.